Hello and welcome to the 362nd episode of The Crate and Crowbar, a podcast about PC gaming. It's 17th of March. I'm Alex Wilshire and tonight I'm joined by Graham Smith. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. It's good to see you or hear you on this night. Yeah, um, how, can you can you see me? How can you see me? Where are you? <laughs> I never thought you'd be wearing that tonight. <laughs> just for you, Alex. Just for you. Uh, this is not news, but the IGF judging period is coming to a close, and so I've been racing through a whole load of stuff uh, that is interesting. Um, and so, basically, I mean, if you like my surface level takes on games that I didn't really click with, then buckle the fuck up <laughs> because I got a lot of those. Um, I mean, one of them is Curse of the Dead Gods, which you've probably heard of at least. Has anyone played that? Mm. I haven't played it, but I've watched the trailers of it and heard people talk about it. it came out just a few weeks ago, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, in early access, is it? Wait, why am I saying that? I don't know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that one I actually did click with. That is a it's being compared to Hades all over the shop because it's uh, quite a bit like Hades. Um, it's not a game where, like, if this had come out first, you'd be like, whoa, how did they think of this? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's an action um, uh, roguelite with uh, a kind, I would say, more Dark Souls inspired than Hades in that it has, like, stamina and rolling out of the way of stuff takes up stamina and um, a lot of your attacks are, like, big, heavy swings. Um, it's both of its the tricky thing about it especially judging it for igf it's very hard to sort of pick something that i was willing to vote for it in because it's a really good game but all of the things that are different about it are basically failures i think <laughs> like the, it's two unique features or uh, one is this curse thing so as you progress through the game you're getting progressively more cursed and when your curse bar hits 100 you get an actual like debuff that's sort of like I don't know, all gold chests now hurt you when you open them or um, uh, enemies um, do more damage in the dark or something like that. Um, and those, you up, your fifth curse is just that you lose health constantly until you die. So you have to manage the amount of curse you're, you're acquiring. And every time you're offered anything as like, you know, uh, a weapon... Um, or an upgrade, or a stat boost, or whatever, the kinds of things you'd get for winning a fight in Slay the Spire, or FTL, or something. Um, you either have to buy it with money, or pay for it with curse, basically. Like, you sort of give a blood sacrifice, and that causes you to become more cursed to get it. And that, the fact that just nothing comes for free, every single thing you have to pay for in either blood or money, means that you never have that nice roguelike feeling of like, oh, cool, this is a really exciting reward screen. It's always like, ah, oh, that is really good, but it's going to cost me so much. And like, I spend it now, I might need this money later. And if I can't spend the money later, I've got to do the curse thing. And then that might tip me over into the fatal curse. So it just kind of bogs all the rewards down in this like sort of, you know, painful decision-making process. It does make harder decisions, but uh, especially early on, it feels really, it's a big downer. As you get better at the game, you just get better at avoiding getting cursed. And so my curse, like, management is a lot easier now because i'm just better at avoiding things that would curse me um and so the only curses i'm, I'm acquiring are like the most um uh, the inevitable ones and the other thing it does that doesn't really work is um it's got a light mechanic so you have a torch as like one of your basic um you know buttons on the d-pad on your controller and if you're not in the light you take more damage and it's just hard to see um yeah. and in every 
to to attack anybody, you've got to put your torch away. I mean, you can hit them with a torch, but it does almost no damage. And so what you're really trying to do is like light a torch in the environment, like a you know a brazier or something, um, and then put torch away and then fight people in the light you've created, which you can do. But then some arenas don't seem to have any anything you can light, and then other ones have stuff you can light, but any attack that hits it destroys the destroys the brazier, and after that, there's no way to get any light in the the environment. Um, you can like tend towards fire weapons in the hope of catching things on fire, but it doesn't really. Uh, in my experience, it's not really practical to like set all the enemies on fire and use that as your light source. So ultimately, you just kind of like it's too hard to engage with it. So you end up just fighting in the dark most of the time. And so all of the differences they put in there to make that inter- like yeah interesting and relevant just are basically feel like global debuffs basically <laughs> like if you take more damage in the dark i'm just going to take more damage because i don't have the the ability or to consistently keep the area lit up and it's just kind of a chore to do that but then on top of that it's just a really uh it feels fucking great i think it feels even better than hades like the the every weapon and every um uh ability just really like lands and feels um sort of stylish and impactful it's the basic um, like dodging and mechanics of of um, fighting, like this is the weird thing is one of the things it does best is one of the things that Hades also does best, which is enemy attacks are really clearly telegraphed and they really have to wind up before they can hit you, and that's that's I think one of the secrets to Hades' success is that it's just uh, you any individual enemy you've got all the time in the world to to do something about it. They're so obvious when they're going to attack, you can see it physically, like it's it's you know the big fat gassy guys in hades you know do that huge like backward stretch like oh i'm gonna hit you soon boom <laughs> and so every enemy is like trivial in itself but then when they there's a lot of them that's when it gets like an interesting sort of mental juggling act of like oh i've got to worry about this guy and this guy and this guy and then dodge out of this guy and this does all of that really really well as well it has a i think probably a better more consistent visual language for that where there is an effect on an enemy who's about to attack that is consistent enough that it works as a visual language. You always know when you see that flash, they're about to hit you. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like UI. It doesn't feel like clutter on the screen. It feels like it's part of the environment. And uh, that's a really smart trick to pull off. Um, and it's it, rather than like a, a sort of magical dash like you have in Hades, you have a, a long forwards roll that you do. And it's less convenient than Hades. You can't roll through people. Um, doesn't make you immaterial or anything. Um, and it uses stamina. And sometimes you're out of stamina and that can be frustrating. But it does mean when it works, it f- you feel really elegant. Like more than most of these games, uh, it's really fast to learn how to play. You know how to get the rhythm of it, how to actually start playing skillfully, and that feels really good. Like just the first boss was brutal. The first like three times I fought it, and then the fourth time I fought it, I was like, oh, I'm starting to get the hang of this. And then the fifth time I fought it, he just couldn't touch me. It's just like, oh, I just got you down now. I just know exactly how you work, and I. Um, I've got the rhythm of it. And when you can do that, just like perfectly dodging every attack and then darting in for your own flurry of blows and then comboing it with something else, um, just feels great. It looks great. And it's just super, super satisfying. And then the curse thing sort of half pays off at that point, because like I say, you get better at managing it, get better at avoiding it. And that starts to give a good run, this like clean feeling. Like this is just a really clean run. I've, I've, all that horrible gunky curse stuff is <laughs> is has been left in the dust. I've found a way to like play this really smart and just get through it and feel good. So it's basically I recommend it, but it's I haven't nominated it for anything in the IGF because I just kind of um, 
don't it does the categories where it stands out are just categories where other things also stand out so it's not really like pushing things forwards but it's cool yeah it sounds like the um the the curse stuff if 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 it did not feel great and if it didn't reward you through you know being able to teaching you to fight well the curse stuff sounds i mean it sounds like a millstone around its neck that the um the rest of the game has to kind of work to 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 make work if it wasn't there would you say that the game yeah. would be better yeah yeah i think both that and the light thing if you just there are virtues to them they can see what they're going for but i think if you just deleted everything relating to them the game would just be better <laughs> um but it does so it's um i think both of them are trying to make good on its grim dark aesthetic which is very yeah. darkest dungeon it's actually I, I don't really think this game copied a lot from Hades, but I do think it copied some stuff from <laughs> Darkest Dungeon because mm. it's just, even like the font it uses is really um, familiar from that. And yeah, it just wants to like double down on that feeling of like, oh, everything's terrible here. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's it's not entirely successful for me, but I sort of see what they're going for. I sort of felt the same way about Darkest Dungeon. Like I completely understand <laughs> yeah, why, that, why people like that in a game, but it felt like a millstone to me in, when playing that. But Curse of the Dead Gods, I've just installed it <laughs> while you were describing oh, awesome. it. <laughs> so might not be getting an, an IGF, but it is getting me to play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, um, it's already sold super well, so it's not uh, it's not an underdog. Um, well, I guess next to Hades, everything is an underdog, but <laughs> it's not, uh, uh, you don't feel sorry for it about not getting an IGF nomination from me, <laughs> the highest honor you could have. <laughs> it's, also, it's, um, it's out of early access. That's what the release was. It, that was ah, like right. early access. So it's, it hit 1.0 back in February. That's good to know. Um, yeah. Uh, my tips for it are don't bother with parries. Just, just give up on it. Dodging is better. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, uh, bow is the best two-handed weapon. And... Uh, you want oh get the hang of offhand combos because that's the thing it tells you about in the tutorial but then I couldn't tell if I'd done it right in the tutorial so I just never bothered with it after that and then I realized like why do I even have a secondary weapon like they, they don't seem all of your weapons drain stamina and so it kind of feels like just whatever the best weapon just use that all the time but actually offhand combos let you do cool things like um, I had a build where my, my primary weapon is claws which is a really rapid flurry of attacks and if you just keep hitting the claw button, then you do a sort of big claw stab at the end of your combo. But if you instead hit your secondary button, for me, that was a dagger. And the dagger's offhand combo is um, that you stab them and also kind of flip back. And that's kind of perfect if you've just done a flurry of blows after which you're going to need to recover. If you end on a dagger stab and then a backflip, then uh, you're out of their range when they try and counterattack you. And I also had something on the dagger that was like, I think when you use it in offhand combo, it did extra damage. Um, my claws were also poisonous, so that meant that where, after I've done my flurry of blows and I back off, they're still ticking down and they're going to keep taking damage while I'm out, out of dangerous range. And then I could also use the bow to rain arrows on them, and my bow did extra damage against poison targets, so it had that really nice like synergy feeling. Uh, those combos, those builds don't always you know, present themselves. You have to kind of go looking for it, and you don't always get the things you need, but um, it's really satisfying when you do. Julie noted. What else have you been playing from the IGF? Uh, Bloodroots. Have you heard of this? This no. is a a game that is very much like 
Hotline Miami in its kind of top-down, um, super volatile, fast-paced action. Everything dies in one hit, including you. Um, but the theming is... I don't know. You're like a angry lumberjack man with a big beard and a wolf on your head. <laughs> and <laughs> you are fighting um, soldiers of some kind. Uh, I'll admit I didn't entirely grasp uh, when and where this is set. Um, <laughs> but Lumberjack uh, times. It's, it's very cartoon. It's like everything is super exaggerated. Everything in the environment you can pick up and use as a weapon. And all of them get used up. So even like a big axe, you can only hit three people with that and then the axe is done. Um, because they want you to go run over and pick up a fucking carrot and hit someone with that. And then you grab a, a dead beaver off the wall and throw that at somebody. Um, if you hit someone with a fish, then you kind of like shove the fish over their head and they run around like blinded for a while and then I guess die of their own accord. Um, maybe they suffocate. Uh, so it's all like super exaggerated violence and really silly and wacky and, and um, over the top. It's The animation is really uh, gorgeous. Um, it all really sells that you know there's stuff like um i think if you use a barrel then rather than hitting someone with the barrel you just sort of throw it on the floor and stand on it and you roll forwards uh, with it as like a wheel and you hit you knock down everybody you hit while doing that um if you throw like a wagon wheel it, it ricochets off people um so every weapon has its own role and then but if you get near any enemy at all uh even though it's basic enemy they all kill you in one hit so it's all about just making sure you hit them before they hit you and having a weapon in your hand gives you extra range. So that's, you know, um, a good way of doing that. Uh, and then it's all about, okay, but if I've used this sword on these three guys, I've got no sword left. So I've got to go grab that fish and then I'm going to hit this guy with a fish and then you get killed because the fish isn't long enough range and this guy had an ax and then you're back at the start and it's a really fast restart. And then you've got to just figure out how to, you know, find a better route through this, I guess, like, I think at least I think that's what it wanted me to do. I think I think when you're into this game, you would be planning a route through the level where, okay, I know this weapon's over there, so I'm always going to go for that. But after that, I'm not sure I was right to go for the sword. Maybe I want the axe instead, or maybe I want to use a carrot here um, and like iterating on it and improving your, your plan. I didn't really get to that kind of stage of it because... Um, it's pretty chaotic and often I'm failing because I just didn't press the button fast enough. Like it's really, it's definitely a Twitch game. You've got to be pressing um, your buttons at the exact right time because the tiniest slip is instant death. And as soon as that gets hard, I kind of lost patience with it. And I wasn't sure if that's, if there's some difference between this and Hotline Miami that made that more frustrating here. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't truly frustrating. It was more like I just kind of got to a point where like, uh, I don't know if I really want to redo that. Like I'm, I, uh, it's, it wasn't a huge amount of time since my last restart, since the checkpoint that I was set back to. But, you know, I've had like three goes at this room and I, I'm, I haven't defeated it yet. And uh, I just didn't really feel as motivated to carry on. I feel like Hotline Miami maybe is just good at like, uh, however the fight goes, it's always a super cinematic action scene from a movie. Like it's always has that like absolute brutal, spectacular um, uh you know, feel to it. And this, it is spectacular, but it's sort of wacky and silly. And uh, you dying is not fun or interesting. It's just, you know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> Whereas uh, in Hot Eye Mammy, you dying is often as, as, as gruesomely, um, you know, brutal and, and entertaining to watch as, as the enemy's dying. 
Yeah, that's funny because I'm trying to think. I was trying to remember um, online Miami because I played it for a long, long time, but I did retry levels over and over again. There's a sort of like an emergent nature to it, like where you can, you know, you can try to enact the exact same, um, uh, you know, attempt routine on a on a level, and it will play out the same way as long as you're precise. But there are many ways it can go wrong, and many ways that that it, any kind of uh, difference in the way that you play kind of can cause great big kind of ructions later on. I like like watching yeah. that unfold is fun. Yeah. And there might also just be a factor of like Hotline Miami was first. And at the time that it came out, there hadn't really been anything quite like it. And yeah. And you're kind of always factor. in, yeah. And you're kind of wondering in Hotline Miami, where is this going to go next? Like what on earth is going on? And kind of, you know, yeah, that sort of, you know, anything goes kind of attitude it had, anarchic sort of um, attitude. Uh, it was kind and of actually, fascinating now that, for that. Now that I think about it, I didn't even give Hotline Miami 2 a chance. I just, you know, I'd heard kind of mixed things about it and I was like, I like that game, but I wasn't like itching for more of it necessarily. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. a factor too. I played a bit of Hotline Miami 2. My problem with it was that the levels were often much larger. And so, like, with Hotline mm. Miami 1, I might have been dying and repeating and dying and repeating, but I could see probably the entire level um, quite quickly, and then it was just a, a case of working through it and working out how to survive it, whereas in Hotline Miami 2, the level was sprawled out a lot more, and so they just it felt instantly more tiring when I was dying because I wouldn't know if... Well, even if I do get past this room in the next area, I can see is there going to be another area after that that's going to be even harder, and another area after that that's going to be even harder. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's where restarting means repeating a lot of it is. I have a very low tolerance for that. What else have you been playing? Uh, last one I'll talk about is um, Windbound, which uh, might lead into. I know you've been playing Valheim, Alex, and. Oh, yeah. This game is also a uh, survival, a survival game that, for me, I don't know. At times, it's very frustrating because at times this feels like the survival game for me because it's gorgeous um, and it just has. I think part of me always wants a survival game, but then doesn't like the actual ones that are on offer. They're always sort of like, they have a lot of promise of the theory. When someone describes it to you, it sounds amazing. And then you play it and it's kind of, uh, feels kind of grindy and, and um, uh, the, a lot of them are very janky and the world doesn't have the kind of romance and, and uh, majesty that, that is in my head when you describe a survival experience. But I love especially the idea of, of making boats and floating out to different islands. And that's exactly what Windbound is about. Um, and it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's a weird mix of like, in some ways it's really well made and in other ways it's really not. (laughs) (laughs) So like movement feels good. Um, it's got a really good mantling, which might not sound like a huge thing, but that's actually really rare for me at least to like find a game where climbing on stuff sort of works and, and feels right and looks good. Um, and that makes a big difference to like whether I enjoy traversing this world. Cause if every time I hit a, a knee high rock, I can't move over it, that, that sucks. And now I'm not enjoying just traveling and obviously traveling is a lot of what you do in these games. Um, the sailing in it, I really like, uh, you, so the first thing there's just 
a bunch of like tall grass on the island you start on you cut some of that down with your knife and then you make that into a grass hull for a boat and then if you can find a stick uh you can make a mast and uh, you've got a really basic ass boat and at that point i can't remember actually i suppose i suppose you're using grass for the sail as well <laughs> um your grass vessel can then launch and you adjust how high uh, or low you want the sails. And then you also just adjust how loose or tight you want them. And so high and low is just sort of how much you want to affect your movement at all. But then loose and tight is whether you want, whether you are currently traveling into the wind or, uh, or sorry, with the wind or across the wind. Um, and to some extent you can also travel directly into the wind uh, very slowly. Um, and so if you're with the wind, you want your sails loose so they're catching as much of the wind as possible. And if you're right. going across it, then you want it tight, which, uh, I mean, in I don't think it works exactly like real sailing. Um, in game, it just it's basically once your your sail is angled that way, you're just allowed to make some progress just even though you're not going with the wind. Um, but you're also just being like buffeted around a lot and the, you know, the sea is sometimes choppy and... Uh, it just kind of feels quite real. It doesn't, you don't go in a straight line. Uh, you're always having to adjust, uh, even if the wind is not rapidly changing direction. Um, you're just being kind of knocked around a lot and you have to keep on, you know, making sure you're heading towards that interesting looking island in the distance and um, adjusting. And then the reason that it's not the survival game I hoped for <laughs> is um, you, the tech tree for crafting stuff very quickly starts to require like the crest of a gore horn to make that's to even make like a basic hammer or a basic <laughs> shovel you need a crest of a gore horn um and to make an axe i don't even i've never even met the creature you need to kill to make an axe so i, I may never make an axe um <laughs> and the gore horn is like a massive like uh, it's like a stegosaurus virtually um uh a huge thing with like a bony head that i think is invulnerable to damage uh, directly and um, the combat system just kind of sucks. It's just bad. It's you need to lock on to stuff to be able to dodge that thing. So the dodge button is context sensitive. You can't dodge unless you're already locked onto something. Um, and the lock on system is just very dodgy. Like if there's multiple enemies, it will stay locked on to a dead animal uh, rather than switching to a new one. Um, mm. It it's hard to explain what was off about the dodging and the you know in theory sort of seeing an animal get ready to charge you targeting them and then when they charge you dodge out of the way and you quickly turn around and you sort of you stab them before they can get their bearings that sounds all right but in practice that everything's kind of tuned a bit wrong so that feels um the lock-on is very very intrusive like it's it's a real pain in the ass to be locked onto something you don't want to until you absolutely have to so it feels like you're really just pressing that button in order to get access to the dodge function um and it's very disorienting often the enemy the animal charges way past you so sure it's going to take a while to turn around but you've just got to like jog over to where it is now <laughs> like it takes a while to actually just travel there uh, by which point it's mostly turned around um and the times when i actually I did eventually get the hang of it and I could take on a gore horn with my, with my lowly bone spear. Um, and it didn't feel good and it didn't look good. It was very awkward. It was just like, oh, technically if I, if I stab at its head from this angle, that's technically not hitting it head on. So it doesn't, it's not invulnerable to that. And I still do full damage there. And that's way easier to pull off than it is to like do a proper dodge and come up behind it and, 
properly flank it or whatever. So it's always just like, oh, I can sort of muddle through this and, and technically succeed. And that's much more effective than trying to, than ever pulling off what it feels like it's asking you to do. Um, and I, I almost made my peace with that. I was like, okay, I can, it's not, killing isn't like 50% of your time or anything. It's, it's the thing you do occasionally when you need the resource. And sure, they, they push you really hard into needing that resource very early but maybe it'll be a thing I just dip into. And honestly, if it's if it's not fun, but I can get the hang of it, then that's okay. But then the next thing I hit was just like, you have like 13 slots in your inventory. Um, and I don't even have like anything in my crafting menu that even hints at ever having more space. So I'm sure there is something somewhere, but I don't know how to discover it. I don't have any way of working towards it. And that few slots with so many different resources you need to craft stuff, it just becomes a huge pain in the ass. And you can like, you can add a basket to your boat, which I don't even, I guess to get stuff between islands, that would be useful. But honestly, you might as well just put it on the ground at that point. Like it's not, um, uh, it's not that commonly useful to transport things between islands. Um, what you need is just more space on your character so that you don't have to keep rushing back and forth between stuff you've dropped different places. And the interface for doing it isn't that good. And so that just kind of kills it. And it's such a like mundane, simple thing like that. The combat, okay, it's hard to make a good combat system. But the inventory space, you could just times that by four and you're done. <laughs> like that's just fixed the game <laughs> to a large extent. And so it's really annoying that it's it's a lot of the stuff they have done well is so hard to do, you know, movement and and the visuals and um, sense of adventure. It really feels like a world you want to explore. I'm really excited to find out what's on the next island. Um, how big are the islands so what's the game what's the game called again windbound windbound um, how big are the, the islands, islands are small um yeah. you can you know you can always see the other side pretty much and um they have these like old relics on them you sort of climb up a spire and then interact with a weird shell thing and that gives you some weird icon on your ui that you can tell you need three of um and once you find that and then you know, figure out what resources are on this island that you might be interested in. And you've got those, you might as well just leave. And yeah. it's all handcrafted. There's just like a few of those. It's definitely smaller scale than Valheim. I mean, I shouldn't say that because I haven't finished it, but it's like, there's, I think there's about four or five islands like that in your starting area. And once you have visited all those and done the stuff on them, you sort of progress to a different part of the world. And I suspect that's going to keep happening. I suspect in the new part of the world, there'll be, you know, four or five bigger islands and I'll, I'll find all the weird old devices on those and then I'll probably be teleported to a new biome. Uh, so it's not like a big consistent open world as far as I can see. Um, <laughs> that moment though, getting the, the three conch shells activated and then I, I correctly inferred that like there's an island that is almost always upwind of you or downwind, no upwind, in that you have to sail into the wind to get to it. And so I left that to last just because it's going to be a pain in the ass to get to and i also sort of correctly guessed that you probably need to do all the three conch shells before you go there at least oh, yeah, I, okay. I think that's that's the case so i did that i got all three conch shells then i thought okay the last place to go is this distant very sinister looking island that i have to sail directly into the wind to get to and i went there it's a very um visually special place it really it just sells you at every point of like this is the the place of destiny this is the ancient weird thing you press a switch and stone steps sprout from the ocean and um the camera starts doing special stuff for the first time and sort of zooming out and things um and it's all it's a huge amount of ceremony and i 
I assume I had done things in the correct order because I was able to activate everything. I was able to turn on these magic stairs and walk through the giant portal and then find myself in a whisked away to this sort of spectacular corridor of, of marble arches where the storm raging above me and I sail my boat down this sort of, again, it feels like a very destiny thing, like a, um, not the game, just a, <laughs> like you are destined <laughs> to take this path on this spiritual journey to this uh, plinth that has a shrine on it with surrounded by lights and with a huge portal behind it. And on the plinth, you activate it and you spend all your spirit essence that you've earned from all these shells that you interacted with. Um, and you go into like a sort of, um, I don't know, like charm interface that where you, you can now unlock some of these things that you've picked up. You've been picking up these stones that sort of could give you a perk, but they're not giving it to you right now. You spend your spirit essence and you activate them. And um, I only had two that I didn't really care about. One was like, makes me swim better, which I did want. And the other one was like, much le- much better resistance to, to poisons, I think it was. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll equip that. And then you do that. And as you come out the interface, it just kind of pops up with a little message saying, Halloween witch's hat unlocked. And this really like massive <laughs> comedy witch's hat just pops onto my head. And I think, I thought that was like a weird, like if I unlock some like gimmicky DLC or something that's only just kicked in. But um, that is the poison. Actually, I think it's a potion charm, like that makes your potions more effective. If you <laughs> if you unlock that charm and the, on the plinth of destiny, you get this dumb comedy hat. That's <laughs> <laughs> really dumb. And then the next thing I did was like, okay, all right, that's dispensed with. That was a bit silly. But like now I step into this massive fucking portal and I go to the new world. So I walked off the edge of the, the plinth and I just like fell like... 15 feet onto like a rocky ledge and then my legs buckled underneath and slammed my head into the rock <laughs> lost like 20% of my health it turns out you're supposed to go back to your boat and like sail around the shrine and there's a bit of water between you and the portal <laughs> <laughs> you've ruined so the very, epic moment with your choice it, and then your <laughs> pratfall undignified moment of ascension <laughs> do you think you'd have got just, like a, like a comedy swimming hat if uh, if you'd chosen the, the super <laughs> swimming option i don't so i did i think i equipped them both technically there's both sort of like unlocked perks for me now um and i didn't seem to get any like yeah like magic leotard or something for that. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah i love to imagine like the gods watching the chosen one go through all that <laughs> just step off the plinth like uh. face palm into the earth <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> <laughs> we're doomed it's Did from the same developers as satellite rain that um yeah. kind of like syndicate like from a few years back oh there of course yeah sounds quite yeah. wind wakery as well mm. yeah i haven't played that um and i didn't play i think i played a demo satellite rain and i can't remember why i didn't stick with it but i remember ha- hearing somewhat mixed things about it what do you think they were trying to do with the with the restricted um, inventory? I think the inventory design in these games is really fascinating, and usually, like there's very there's like it's very intentional. Like usually, it's to ensure that you don't spend too long doing one thing, so you get bored of mining or bored of collecting wood or whatever, and it like gives you a nice rhythm as you return to base and do something, and then you make another choice. You're going to go back to the mine. You're going to go and do something else, hunt badges or something and um that's usually like why you would restrict a um um an inventory but in this case since your your boat or your ship is like a couple of you know 10 meters that way what's it for why why would it want to restrict it at all yeah i think the fact that you can put a basket on your boat 
makes it feel like perhaps they wanted that to be your base of operations, like that's your home. And I'm sure when you get bigger, but boats, it is like automatically baskets. because it limits yeah. the amount of stuff you can do on an island, and you know you'll be using your boat to go somewhere else. Yeah, my best guess is they just want it to feel survivally, like sort of. Um, See, that's uh, what I feared. Having limits <laughs> and and needing to think about what you're carrying and have it just not be abstracted and sort of feel a bit more closer to uh, re- the real concerns you'd have on an island of like, oh, I can't carry all this stuff. But yeah, it doesn't work that way. And I also think um, that you can get that effect with just a very large inventory limit. Like unlimited inventory does feel abstract. That that does get weird where you're, you're just carrying like 300 clay pots and, and all that stuff. Uh, at a certain point, that does divorce you from the, the fantasy. But I think if you have like, I mean, what did I say? You have like 13 slots. I think if you have 50 slots, you're still absolutely you feel like you have to yeah. think about this at some point and you know you can't just gather a million things. Yeah, I don't get it because, yeah, I get like, sort of the the choices you make, um, you know, when you're, you know, you've gone on a little expedition away from your base and you're kind of, oh, they're full, so what am I going to choose? What am I going to leave behind? And, you know, it's agonizing decisions. Do I go back now or do I get rid of some stuff so I can stay out here for longer? Like, they're all about, whether to return to base. So, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. I keep thinking I about bet- why, what is it is what it is about Valheim that works for me because I don't really like survival games that much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to lead into that actually because I, I don't remember, Valheim does have limited inventory and I hit that limit, but you just build chests back at home, right? And then you've, you, yeah. okay, like it can be a pain sometimes of just like, oh, you're crafting the crafting resource you need to build this thing is not in your hands. It's in your chest that's like three meters away. So you've got to walk over there and fit that in your inventory and maybe swap some stuff out. But it wasn't like a constant chore. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I found as well. Tell us like about in, that. And usually when you're kind of out and about, you're sort of, you're, you've got lots of different factors on kind of how long you're staying away from base. Like there's, you probably don't want to be out at night. Um, your tools might be... Um, you know, running out of, um, you know, getting damaged and they'll need fixing anyway. You know, there are other things you're thinking about as well as your full inventory. And usually they're all kind of coming together at one point and right, it's time to go home, have some dinner and go to bed, <laughs> which is what I've, how I've been playing it. <laughs> are you playing it uh, with others? No. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not, um, although, uh, some friends of ours, um, uh, uh, so I'm on a discord with some friends of ours and, um, um, who I play destiny with, um, Pip and some other people. And so they, I hadn't been playing Valheim with them, but they, but they put up the IP and uh, password for their server up on our discord. And, um, and one evening I decided to, to log in and no one else is online. And, um, I decided to find their base and sort of so i sort of traveled around and and eventually sort of managed to follow sort of a number of kind of stumps and things like oh okay it looks like we may have gone this way and stumbled across the shore and then followed along the shore and then found their base and yeah you know i was quite pleased with myself because like from the mid from the point that you spawn in there's quite a lot of island they could have gone they could have gone north they could have gone south they went south and directly south so that was good um, kind of went in their house, had a look around. They had little um, name name placards above each of their beds, 
which was unspeakably sweet. That's lovely. Um, and I thought this is kind of weird though. <laughs> like I've just shipped up <laughs> and appeared there. Um, so I w- went down coast a little, down the coast a little bit. So it's just out of view of their camp. And I found one of the kind of, um, generated pre-made, um, tumble down shacks. Um, so I fitted that back up together again and, and, um, played for maybe a couple of hours and, um, and I haven't, I still haven't actually asked Pip about it, whether she's, um, whether any of them noticed that mysteriously some, some house has been done up and it looks very much like <laughs> someone's moved in, but who are they and where have they gone? <laughs> um, I actually went back there today, um, because, um, for, uh, reasons of, um, because I'm actually writing about it for, for Graham right now. Um, which should actually be, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, it probably won't be up by the time this comes out, but it might be actually. But um, anyway, um, it'll be out very soon. Uh, and it's about something that I haven't actually reached in the game yet, um, which I've educated myself on, but I haven't personally played. Um, it's about the portals in the game. Um, I'm nearly, I'm so close to it. But I haven't quite got there, um, and um, and I did wonder because I got to take some screenshots, and I did wonder whether they set up a portal. They have not. They have not. They've pooped all around just like I have. Hmm. How far are you through, Tom? Um, uh, I built a house. <laughs> Took me a long time. I was so like, um, it was a real case of like dragging my feet in a way that ended up being really unproductive. Of like. Oh, I, I just want a workbench. I don't want a house. I just need a workbench. I'm like, oh, the workbench has to be covered. All right, well, I'll build like <laughs> something that's like technically a roof over it. Like, all right, that's a roof, but now it's too exposed. Okay, I'll build like, I'm not building four walls. I'll build three walls around it. <laughs> like just little walls that just enclose that. And technically that is now enclosed. It's like, yes, okay, you can use the workbench. And then, oh, now you need to sleep. Like build a bed. Okay, I build a bed. Uh, it needs a roof. Okay, I build a tiny little individual <laughs> roof over the bed. Uh, it's too exposed. Okay, I build three little walls around the bed. Fine, I'll do it. just about got it. And then uh, that was working until it rained. And then when it's raining, I think you need it to be even more enclosed or there's some oh, other yeah, requirement. Oh, yeah, the fire goes out and stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, my fire went out as well. Um, <laughs> that was it. And so now my fire needs a roof and walls. I'm like, hmm, all these individual things needing like three walls and a roof. What if I just had four larger walls <laughs> and a larger <laughs> roof and then combined them all inside? I've invented the house. <laughs> um, so obviously the game systems are pushing you to do that. Um, uh, in a way, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, like I say, I, just, I was just kicking and screaming into civilization. <laughs> no, I don't want a fucking house. I want to build, I'll, I'll fulfill your bare minimum requirements and get really grouchy at you for it <laughs> and refuse to engage with the actual like settlement fantasy. Tom, um, the self-flagellating Viking who would not look <laughs> after himself. <laughs> and now I'm just, I just need so much fucking boar skin or whatever it is you get from boars. Like I... I've got a bow and I've got a spear and I uh, there's loads of deer around and there's some boars, but it's a weird thing where like I can kill deer and it feels like their their leather should be high quality. I think it's like a more advanced crafting resource and I'm lousy with that. But boars just are they're not rare or anything. It's just that I just need a vast amount of their skin and uh, I'm very <laughs> sure on it. <laughs> have you found i i think it's is the animal um the animal slaughter has been the thing that slowed me down as well but i've been enjoying it because i've been using it as a supplement to other things sort of you know killing a few yeah. things there on 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 journeys elsewhere yeah i think what i'm 
actually the th- last thing I did before I, I stopped last time, which is a while back now, was um, I sort of stopped trying to build up my little settlement and just decided to go on a long journey. I thought that might be a, a better fit for what I want from it. Um, and that's kind of fun because I think the area I'm just, I'm right in the very starting area because I tried going just a little way from that and setting up camp there, but I was being attacked by those little like goblin dudes just every, you know, three minutes. So I couldn't get anything set up because it was just constantly having to stop to deal with them. And I'm not fast at killing them. You know, I'm not, I don't have any great weapons or anything. So it takes me a while to chase them down and finish them off. And it just got really tedious to like try and set anything up in a remotely hostile area. So I kept inching further back and then towards the starting area and like, okay, I'll build here then. Nope, too many goblins. I'll build here then. Nope, too many goblins until I just got back to exactly where you started and just, okay, I'll build in the exact spot I started the game in because <laughs> I can't go anywhere else, I guess. And that, so that's, I'm, that means I'm not really attached to that starting area. I don't really like where I am. I'm just like, oh, I'm just here because I had to be. Um, so oh, sad. Yeah, I, I managed to find a, I found a, a really nice kind of little bit of hillside right on the coast, kind of got woods on either side. Uh, don't get too badly attacked by stuff. Unlike the little hut I found on uh, Pip server, um, which which was right next to a wood in which a troll lives. And I, mean, like, I, had, I was trying <laughs> to collect some flint on the coast and I just got booted in the arse. I didn't even see what attacked it hit me until I looked back and it's a giant blue troll. So, all right, okay. And this thing, anytime I go near the woods, <laughs> like this thing would just rush out and, and smack me. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've, I've found a place. I found that- Did the um, enemies, do the enemies ever dry up? Like if, you, if I keep killing those dwarves, will they ever stop bothering me? Uh, no, no. I think they, they hmm. just, they mostly generate at night. I think that you get rushes. There are sort of events that happen where you'll get a number of them, but it sounds like you're getting a constant drip of them. Like they're always in forests, particularly in the night. Um, you know, on the on the um, you know on a plain on a kind of meadow area, you should be you should be clear of them. You should be fairly kind of unattacked there. Hmm. That's what I found anyway. But I've, you know, now I've, I'm kind of, I can kill any of those in, in a couple of hits. I think that the power kind of curve has felt really satisfying. You know, it was, they were pretty dan- very dangerous to start with. And gently, um, without feeling like I've really done an awful lot, I mean, I've done a lot of upgrading and things, but, you know, but but it, the I now feel much more powerful. It doesn't hasn't felt particularly artificial, you know, in that way that sometimes games can. <laughs> You know, where you kind of does. a couple of upgrades and now, like, you know, it seems weird. I did feel like when you start the game, you're just being pelted with upgrade notifications. Like you take five steps and you've got oh, better yeah. at walking and then you lift yeah. your arm to punch a tree. You've got better at punching. <laughs> yeah, I, I I killed the um the, the first boss um uh today at lunchtime. And um and I hadn't until that point actually got a shield. I crafted a shield for the fight. Um, and the first hit it gave me, like, <laughs> you've upgraded your blocking. <laughs> that was the first time I'd used my shield. <laughs> you learned a lot about blocking. Maybe a little bit late, but... <laughs> but now I'm thinking, God, I should have had this way earlier on. Because I've, I've been in a few barrows, and the barrows are filled with... There was one of them has a, a spawner, what looks like a spawner of skeletons. 
and at one point I blundered in and there were four skeletons and a great big glowing green skeleton. I don't still don't really know what that was all about. And that <laughs> was a very scrappy fight. And indeed, so sort of trying to kind of backward pedal while also sort of trying to fight them and not really having paid any attention to the fact that you can block with your kind of normal weapon. You don't need a, a shield. Mm. It's just that, you know, shields are obviously far more effective. But I could have could have died less, <laughs> taken a lot less hits. <laughs> It's combat I I found like rudimentary but but functional like it it was yeah. fine basically it was like it didn't yeah. I wouldn't play this as a combat game by itself but it totally works to to be like as long as I have good enough stuff I will defeat the, the enemies and I'll get better at using my stuff and that's partly what makes me even less forgiving of windbounds fucking this up because it just feels like Valheim sort of proves you don't need to go to town on combat it doesn't have to be a really yeah. sophisticated thing you can just kind of like click a button and it makes you swing your weapon and if the weapon hits someone it hurts them <laughs> it can look it can look kind of goofy and just be very basic i mean i'm i'm going purely by the by my uh, external impressions of this I, maybe it's really hard to make valheim's combat system too but um it doesn't seem like it's it's mega sophisticated i mean it's, it's one of the you know and every aspect uh it's better than any survival game that i'm really aware of like Maybe Minecraft sits aside from it, but you know it's so much better than that stupid dinosaur one, and it's so much better than Rust. <laughs> it's so much better. It feels in everything that it do- does, it's so much more polished, runs so much better. The curves of you know the as I was saying before that your sort of power level and the curve of the crafting that I've I mean, certainly in my experience has been so much smoother, so much more enjoyable. It's just, and I can't believe that it's been made by just five people, you know, compared to that fucking dinosaur game, you know, like, (laughs) like I I went back to Ark, um, uh, like a a couple of years after it came out, you know, it was massively popular, you know, had hundreds of updates to it and it still felt like shit. Like, and (laughs) everything about it was shonky ran badly it was just bullshit you know and valheim has just kind of swept in and said hey we're just going to be you know pretty good at it all and and like (laughs) it's been a real fucking (laughs) what a revelation let's make a game that's pretty good in all the things it tries to do (laughs) my impression of arc from the outside is that they keep adding new features and new stuff like they sort of introduce a mechanic and and some content to go along with it and it's it's shonky and broken and people play it and they complain about it and then they just instead of fixing it like add a whole new set of content as well <laughs> let's put new yep. some more fucking dinosaurs in it <laughs> <laughs> pretty much there's at some point a dinosaur game is going to come along that's actually good and it's going <laughs> to clean up because uh, sold, sold millions and it yeah. was just off the back of people really want to walk around dinosaurs and tame yeah. the dinosaurs and ride the dinosaurs and look at the that dinosaurs. That is precisely why I <laughs> wanted to, that's why I wanted to play Ark. They fucked, I mean, like, you know, and I, like, how do you miss a goal like that? They put dinosaurs <laughs> in it. That, that should have been enough. <laughs> well, I mean, it sold millions, so in some sense. It <laughs> kind of was. So. <laughs> although, although the fact that Valheim was made by, you said five people, and it sold almost five million copies. Yeah. It's insane. Wow. It's just nuts. <laughs> I can definitely feel why. Ooh, it's like 20 bucks, it, isn't it? 
something yeah, like that. It's in that. It's in that area. Yeah. So that's twenty million dollars. Like two each. gigabytes as well. <laughs> it's fifteen pounds fifty. There you go. Overwhelmingly just, positive reviews after yeah. one hundred and fifty-eight thousand reviews. <laughs> that's a lot of reviews in a, in a month and a half. Like it's a God good almighty. game. It's just a good yeah, this game, is, and it's and so this is much the start of, it as well. of their early access. Yeah, I don't get the sense that. Um, I mean, I spoke to um, Henrik, who um, is one of the co-founders, and um, I don't get the sense that that. I mean, I could be totally wrong here, but I don't get the sense that they're aiming to add too much more. Like it, it feel it like from all I know about the end game and and how it progresses, there's not an awful lot you would want to add in. You know, it's a completed game. You know, there's refinements and little detail changes that you'd maybe want or maybe they want, but like yeah, like it doesn't need that. And you know, and there's already a shitload of it. You know, there's so much to do. You know, and I'm I'm nowhere near want, needing to go. Um, off the island i'd love to find out what the um sailing's like and i could build a raft but i haven't i've i've explored maybe a third of the island the, the start island and um and every little trip i take i find something of note you know and and that's you know that's i think that's the thing that i'm really enjoying about it like the fact that everything else works and feels pretty good um is supporting the fact that 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 it 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 does discovery well. It does the same sense of discovery that you get in Breath in the Wild where you can trust that no matter what direction you go in, you're going to find something that's made that journey worthwhile. You know, it might be a little tower that you'll find a chest in. It might be a a, a, a kind of a standing stone with, you know, with a little lore snippet on it. It might be um, an altar where you can, where you can summon one of the, bosses you know there's something or it, or it could just be a really you know you might just have killed five deer on the way and that's good as well you know that's and and that's kind of why I mean I generally find these games feel like a lot of work I was thinking about um I was thinking about Raft which is another sea-based one did you ever play Raft no that's the one with the shark so you're on a you're on a raft um and a shark is constantly circling it. You have a hook that you can use to pull um, uh, debris that's constantly floating past you in towards you, things like sort of plastic canisters and bits of wood and stuff. And you can then use that to craft stuff. And steadily you build up your raft bigger and bigger um, with more and more durable stuff because the shark occasionally will come and bite, try to bite chunks off the raft. Uh, <laughs> so you've kind of got to deal with that. And you steadily become more and more uh, able to control the raft, you know, because you'll see little islands you can actually stop by. Um, but it's work. It's so much work. You're constantly um, uh, pulling in objects. You need so much wood to do this. You need so much plastic to do that. You've got this attritional aspect of the fact that you need food, but you also need to fix your raft up. You can never you can never spend a moment unprofitably um in raft you're you're left to coast or you're left to 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 do what you would like like you know i think um uh Wait, in, chris in when he valheim, was talking left to do what you like. in valheim oh yeah what did i say i, I don't meant valheim yeah um in valheim yeah you're able to coast and you know the the, the survival mechanics are really forgiving in that you're not going to die if you don't eat. Your health bar drops, and so does your stamina bar. Stamina bar. Oh yeah, but you're I really not like going to die. The food thing, of yeah. like 
you can you can have as many fucking raspberries as you like on on your person, but you can only really eat one. Yeah. <laughs> and once you've eaten one raspberry, the second me. raspberry does, has no benefit. Um, yeah. And so you've got to eat like an entire haunch of meat next. <laughs> but then once you had one haunch of meat, the second haunch of meat is completely uninteresting to you. Now you need a, a fucking mushroom. <laughs> some of the some of the crafting stuff in Valheim does sound nuts to me. Like I haven't played it, but a bunch of people at work are really into it, and they got carrot seeds really early on uh and then it took them ages trying to work out how yeah. the heck do we actually plant them yeah. like they they'd flattened out the ground they'd used a hoe on the ground but yeah. then there was no way to actually put the the carrot seeds in they eventually worked out by googling that they needed something called a cultivator yeah but then in order to make a cultivator they had to mine a bunch of ore <laughs> and then <laughs> smelt the ore to refine it you're missing out steps. You're missing out a step, Graham. In order to get, in order to uh, mine the the copper and the tin that you need to make bronze um, to make the cultivator, you've got to defi- de- defeat um, uh, an elder god uh, <laughs> in, the shape, <laughs> in the shape of an elk. Well, it's also even like even to to smelt the the ore or whatever you've got to make a kiln to create charcoal yeah. first and it's just yeah. like you know in real life you can just put seeds in the ground with your hand <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was quite funky as yeah, so that yeah <laughs> but, but I did, it's weird it. though because i hadn't really you know i haven't there's not been a carrot shaped hole in my valheim life yet <laughs> You need to play Blood Roots. <laughs> Put a carrot-shaped hole in everything. I, I know. I know. I know. Satisfactory is a is a different kind of game because it's not a survival game, but it, there's something similar about that kind of factory management thing versus the survival crafty thing. Like Definitely. you're you're making things in order to make other things. Which should I play? Which should I play? If I'm going to pick one of these, should I play Valheim or should I play Satisfactory? Ooh. I mean, yeah, they are really, really similar in the sense that um, they both give you something interesting to think about and to aim for as you play. They really support, you know, so I think the Valheim is about exploration. That's like, that's its central thing. That's what it wants you to do. So everything, everything you do is in service to that, whether it's um, giving you a reason to, to go out on a, you know, to do something, to go, just to go out or, or a reason to make a certain thing because it's going to make going out more possible, like whether it's to build a ship or whatever, or to survive investigating that tomb that you found, that barrow you found. Um, so that while satisfactory is I've got this order to make um, a certain thing, a certain number of things, and that's a very big number of things, and so how am I going to do that um, uh, efficiently and so all of the crafting that you're doing is all in service to building the machine that's going to make the thing quick and you're going to feel great for it i think those are those are two types of personality or like <laughs> things you know types of satisfaction you know one of them is i find both of them really relaxing but one of them is intense which is satisfactory because you know, you're constantly checking every little the machine going, can I get this more efficient? You know, why isn't this working? And Valheim, like I was saying before, it lets you kick back. Like, and you, it's so much more relaxed and nice music plays and the sun shines. And when the sun goes up and down, there's beautiful kind of 
you know, sunsets and whatnot. That's, I think that's the equation. But you've got to pick one for me. I can't okay, make sat- decisions on my own, Alex. <laughs> Satisfactory. Pick Valheim. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will play it with you. Whichever you choose, I'll play it with you. Let's play Valheim. It's decided, listeners. <laughs> I think also Valheim has less less sort of knowledge debt. Like satisfactory, you have to learn so much. Um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the fun is simply mastering and learning. Whereas Valheim, <laughs> there's not much to learn really. It's just <laughs> hit stuff. We, makes. Stuff. I'm always a bit fuzzy on on worlds of Valheim. Like if we played together, one of us would be hosting, right, and then the, the world would be like on their computer. And so after we play only they would be able to like yeah. play on that world by themselves. Yeah, you can rent servers, I think. It's, oh, it's right. like so Minecraft. Could... It works like Minecraft does. I see. Yeah, I've never really like been fully into a game that works like that, so it's always a bit... I don't quite have it internalized yet. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should look into that. Oh, the Creighton Crowbar um, server thing. Oh. Yeah, the, our, our community has one, but I expect they would be... Um, well ahead of us in terms of <laughs> like be just walking into like uh you know a metropolis of <laughs> technology yeah. and, like, walking into stock world of tomorrow <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've got hover cars <laughs> <laughs> what you've been playing graham i've been playing forza horizon 4 oh. um which is at the far end of the spectrum from a lot of the games we've been talking about tonight because stuff like Curse of the Dead Gods and Windbound and survival games in general have a lot of friction in them. And Forza Horizon 4 is a game I love because it's got almost no friction whatsoever. It's just cars slipping and sliding around a greased up world. Uh, <laughs> it just wants you to have fun and gets out of your way in every instance. Um, I played it a bunch when it first came out on PC a couple of years back, but it just came to Steam. So I've gone back to it, started over again from the beginning. And it's just, it's, it's uh, for a long time I've been saying it's the best racing game. I think it's just one of my favorite games overall. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk, um, Tom Senior covered it on a, in an old pod back in like 2018 or something, but I'll cover the base game a bit first. But it's, um, it's set in the UK in a kind of greatest hits compilation of pastoral countryside around kind of, winding dales and farmland and lots of windmills and wind turbines and hot air balloons and edinburgh and it's utterly gorgeous and it's a it's the arcadey one of the forza games because there's also forza motorsport which i've never played uh, and never want to play forza horizon by default is the kind of game where if you smash into some of those cobbled walls around the edge of a farm those stones just get thrown around yeah it doesn't slow you down in any way if you crash into a tree in this game it does not slow you down in any way Um, there's a particular particular thickness of tree that does stop you but um but in that situation there's a rewind button you just rewind it by five seconds and there's no penalty to it whatsoever because everyone else rewinds as well so they've completely taken out the frustration of crashing um and it's it's utterly beautiful um and it's it it avoids a lot of the problems of other recent or modern racing games in that they all started trying to ape the fast and the furious series 
Um, we, I, I, I've watched five and a half Fast and the Furious films <laughs> in the last three months. I've bailed about twenty minutes into the sixth one in a marathon that <laughs> that we were undertaking together. Um, but they're 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 movies about the worst human beings in the world, and <laughs> and like the need for the Need for Speed series, for example, became also about the worst human beings in the world, but ones that aren't played by Vin Diesel or The Rock, or at least redeem it by being relatively charming on screen. Whereas this, uh, it's set in England and it's set during the Horizon Festival. Um, which is like Glastonbury, but for driving cars about, and which has overtaken the entire country, as far as I can tell. <laughs> so most of the people that you meet are just like nice people who are running, like event organizers. It's people with clipboards. <laughs> it's, it's like they're, they're like it's extremely middle class. Like they're just they're all wearing shirts and chinos, and they're all like marketing executives or movie producers, and uh, they're just they just really like cars. They're really happy to see you. They just no one no one talks in a kind of gruff voice about crimes and family or motor oil. They just they just compliment you, shake your hands, tell you that you're really good at driving, and then give you a house or a car. Or, <laughs> Um, and that's the other, the other thing it avoids from a lot of these games is that it doesn't feel like the the other f- f- racing game series I think about is the test drive and test drive unlimited games, which similarly give you kind of like an open world. I think one of them was set in Ibiza or something like that. Um, but they're obsessed with cars as status symbols. Like it's all about unlocking really expensive fancy flash cars that you can show off in your showroom mansion now the uh, forza horizon 4 loves cars and loves fast cars and it does give you mansion a mansion pretty early on and then you unlock other mansions but it's not it also loves old bangers like it loves minis and volkswagen fans and off-road cars and it it has what I think of as like a child's appreciation of cars. It likes cars because <laughs> they've got wheels and they go fast and they're loud. Um, and that's similar, like that's the level on which I appreciate cars. I, I, you know, I had toy cars when I was a kid. My dad used to, you know, fill up his car with petrol. And if he spent like 80 pounds on petrol, he would get a like model car that he would bring home for me. And one of my earliest uses of the internet I remember was looking up pictures of cars and then printing them out so I could put them on my wall of my bedroom uh, <laughs> as a kid. But I don't know anything about cars. I, I I I've heard the words V8 a lot, and I know it's an engine of some kind, but I don't know what that means. Uh, I've never, I don't I can't drive a car. I don't know anything about what, how cars actually work, and I don't want to know. But they go fast, and sometimes they have nice lines on them. That's how I like them. And, and this is a game that kind of gets that. Um, and like, it's best encapsulated, I think, by its opening 10 minutes, which I'm, I'm heaping on the hyperbolic praise here, but I think is like the best opening 10 minutes of almost any game ever. <laughs> <laughs> because it encapsulates the entire experience. 
So like the the gimmick for Forza Horizon Four, like the big new marquee feature, was that it's got seasons in it. So as you're progressing through these different races, um, it'll switch from spring, summer, autumn, and winter, and that will change the look of the entire world. And of course, when it's when it's winter, for example, the track might be slippy because it's covered in snow. So it changes the way that you drive and the kind of events that you get. So the opening ten minutes of the game drop you instantly into a race like again there's no friction or obstacles or menus or nonsense um where you will drive in a car in a part of the world and it'll be i think it starts off in autumn and then after you've been driving for a couple of minutes you'll hit a jump and as your car sails into the air the camera will drift up towards the sky and come back down and the entire world has changed season and you resume driving you're now in a different car in a different part of the world in a new season and then it does it repeats that basically going through the the four seasons over the course of this 10 minute race in different cars giving you a sense of the different kinds of driving you're doing in this culminating in this like or like uh, triumphant um like 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 you're watching the fucking proms or something driving towards the the horizon festival um uh, at great speed in this ridiculous sport car, sports car and i think it's either spring or summer at this point and there's hot air balloons in the air and as you're driving along the road other sports cars and other different kinds of vehicles are all like smashing through the walls alongside you to join in the race in this big celebration of we love driving fast and isn't aren't cars great and it's just it's just joyous and you know it's, it's like like peggle but for racing games um and like, like previously, I thought that was the best encapsulation of the, the, the game's kind of childlike approach to racing. Um, but uh, because I was grabbing it on Steam after previously been playing it in the Microsoft Store, I got the DLC, uh, and there's been, there's been a few of them since the game first came out. Um, but the most recent of which is LEGO Speed Championships, which is basically... Uh, an entire Lego racing game, <laughs> like in terms of the size of the thing. Like it's an entirely new open world area, which is made entirely of Lego. Um, and it gives you Lego cars and a Lego world to drive around. And uh, likewise, it has its own opening sequence where you're, you're, you're driving the car across this landscape and a kind of whistle stop tour of its, of its highlights. But with, instead of like, sheep running across the road to get out of your way it's lego cows kind of like hopping awkwardly because their legs aren't articulated in any way um there's a ufo whizzing by overhead instead of fighter jets uh there's a forest filled with lego ghosts and uh, like it works perfectly like it just fits onto the forza template like those stone walls i mentioned that you can smash through make more sense when those walls are made out of lego bricks um, <laughs> there are there are fields full of i guess they're like tulips but they're they're lego tulips because everything is lego and it feels incredible to drive through these fields and just have these colorful flowers getting sprayed around as your car whips through them um your car can crash and take damage but the damage is purely cosmetic and it's just some Lego bricks fall off the back of your <laughs> Lego Mini, uh, which looks really cool. And it, it it even it replaces the one thing which is slightly grating about the base game, which is when you're doing races in the base game, you're getting you're 
earning currencies, like one is just credits, which you can use to buy cars or cosmetic items like t-shirts for your driving avatar person or whatever. Um, but also influence, which is kind of like social media-like currency that you're able to use in order to, to get access to new events. Um, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty downplayed. Like it's not like, it's not big on the language around likes or anything like that, but just that they're called like influencer points or something like that. Uh, I don't like, <laughs> whereas, whereas in Lego speed championships, what you're, what you're earning instead is Lego breaks. And so there's just all these events and different achievements you can get, which get you like 20 yellow bricks, 20 red bricks, that sort of stuff, which then get put towards building, um, new structures for your house your lego house which is at the center <laughs> of this world and again like that's just a strict port from the main game where you're able to like buy or unlock new mansions um but it works much better and is is much more appealing to me when it's actually just like a lego brick house <laughs> that you're that you're putting on different buildings on this plot of land um and i just yeah i'm just having a great time time with it and like the o- only downside that i have for it is that it's, it's quite expensive like this seems to be part of microsoft's strategy is that they don't discount their games anymore not really i think lego speed championships is only like 10 to 15 pounds and for the amount of stuff that's there that feels generous to me but i think the base game is like 55 or something mm-hmm. that's obviously to drive you towards xbox game pass because really what they want you to do is sign up for a subscription there but well, you should sign up to Xbox Game Pass because if you haven't used it before, I think you can get like a, a first-time sign-up account for like a pound or something. And if not, it's £10. And that's just a fantastic price for a month to play Forza Horizon 4, I think. And then, you know, you can cancel at the end of it. Do you get the DLC with Game Pass? I think you get everything with Game Pass. I'm not huh. 100% sure in that, actually. But I th- thought you got everything with Game Pass. I remember, so I played uh, Forza Horizon, although I don't really remember how, <laughs> like whether it was via Game Pass or not. Um, but I remember slightly resenting this Lego thing just because it was a it was a blip on my map. Like I hadn't sort of, you know, it just in game, it was basically advertising it to me by offering me these race nodes, which when I get there, it then says, oh no, you, you've got to buy the DLC to play this. And so I thought the way they, they sort of had that pimped to you in game was a little bit sleazy. But I, that's also, I just don't play a lot of racing games, so possibly that's just normal for the genre. I wouldn't say that was normal for the genre, because there's no, I mean, I haven't played any other recent racing games that have an open world and a big map like this. There's not that many of them about these days. Well, that's I'm glad true. the thing they were pimping at me was at least a cool thing that I probably should get. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently if you're an Xbox Game Pass Ultimate member, you get the DLC and other stuff. Uh, I don't is that know like it's difference. just only one person can be the ultimate member and it's just whoever signed up <laughs> like either the longest ago or the most recently <laughs> <laughs> it's like highlander style only one can be <laughs> yeah you've got to kill the last ultimate member before you can become the ultimate <laughs> member <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed forza 4 as well like i think i had it i was a member of the ultimate not an ultimate a, a microsoft game pass thing and I let it lapse and, and therefore lost the good game, the very good game. It's um, It's got like these kind of 
I think of them as like boss races, <laughs> um, which kind of cap off each season. Uh, the first of them is... Uh, is it the hovercraft? Yes, yeah, the hovercraft. <laughs> it's like a downhill slalom race alongside a hovercraft, um, which is pretty amazing. That's good fun. And then after that, I think you race a train. And then after that, you race... <laughs> I feel like it's a fighter jet is the third one. <laughs> yeah, it's getting increasingly like unfair. <laughs> uh, and it's like it's complete it's completely rigged because it, these are races set up designed so that the hovercraft, for example, will pretty much always cross your path just as you hit a jump that causes you to launch over the top of it, and then the camera cuts away and you get like a slow motion shot of you sailing through the air above this hovercraft. Um, but I don't care. It's it's it makes me feel great every time. Yeah, uh, and I feel that way about about the races in general. Like it starts off pretty easily, and if you're winning easily, then it will say, "Oh, do you want to increase the difficulty a little bit? We'll give you fifteen percent extra credits if you you know if you win on this harder difficulty level." But I'm pretty sure the the difficulty is. I I'm pretty sure it's dynamic within the races in some ways like yeah. i'm pretty sure that if you are behind and it's the last lap the cars in front of you slow down <laughs> so that you can pass them uh <laughs> and i'm pretty sure if you're in the lead then they will speed up so that they continue to pressure you but never really try and overtake you and i'm sure there's like there's a difficulty level where that stops being the case and a difficulty level where you can turn off you know all the driver assists and the like it will draw a, a route on the track for you, telling you when to brake and all that sort of stuff. I don't turn any of that thing off, all those things off. I, I like them on because I'm bad at racing games and I want to win. Um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting that I just don't care at all that there's no actual <laughs> challenge to this. It's because it's all about the spectacle. It's an interesting comparison to Ori and the Blind, uh, no, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which uh, Tom Senior was talking about a while back, uh, where. Uh, I persuaded him to like the game less because <laughs> I reminded him of the um, the awful chase sequences where there's a big boss yeah. running after you and you just have to do the right thing at the right time to make the cinematic sequence unfold the way it's intended to or they kill you. And that also is rigged, but it's rigged against you. It's always like, ever, if you didn't do what we were thinking you should do, then um, the game will fail you. And so I hate it. It really, you know, unless I get it right first time, it's going to be a really miserable, frustrating experience. Whereas the scripted races against or not yeah scripted is too harsh a term but like um rigged as you say races with the hovercraft uh, i think i did one of the i think i might have done the train one as well um they are rigged to make it as cool as possible for you and make sure that you see some cool shit happen and that you probably are at least in the running and probably win and those are great and yeah if you can pull that off i'm sure it's more work to make to make it sort of self-balance and um and also it's a completely different genre and everything but that's the kind of, that's the philosophy I, I want. If you're going to do a sequence like that, is is yeah. at least rig it in my favor. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in that conversation with about Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and that was a game that I'd played like two weeks before Tom Senior, and I quit as the first boss because I think he chases you only very briefly for like forty seconds or something, and then you have to fight him with like a a torch or something. Yeah, and I just couldn't work out. Like my torch seemed to do almost no damage. I was pinned back against a wall and I died like six times in a row and then uninstalled the game because I was just like, yeah. nope, <laughs> nope. Yeah, that's a real shame. That game is gorgeous. Um, 
and most of it is really really good it's just those bits that suck I should persevere at some point, but I can't because Forza Horizon 4 is just too much slick <laughs> goddamn fun. <laughs> why, um, given that you're saying everyone should get Game Pass, uh, why did you buy it on Steam? Um, <laughs> don't really know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the reason it, it popped into my head is I, I wondered if you've been seeing me around because I played it on Xbox and I was seeing all my, I guess I'm seeing my Microsoft friends in game because it, it, it names the AI drivers after your friends, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think we're friends on Microsoft, but uh, I'm seeing Matthew Castle everywhere because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always racing against him in every single race. And I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Because <laughs> it's, not, it, it's, not, it's not Matthew. <laughs> doesn't it do something? Does it do anything like, uh, is this the game with driver tars? Is this where that comes from? Uh, they were in the the kind of like the, the motorsport series, I think. And that was kind of from a US studio. This one's designed by ex Codemasters UK. Um, developers. I was just I was just wondering if they do. Is the idea that they have in some way profiled my friends and seen like, oh, this you know, Tom likes to take his corners real tight, so we'll make the AI do that, or is it literally just names? <laughs> I think it's just names. But like, if, but it's always there's loads of times being thrown at you, as, as Graham was saying. Like, you always know how you're performing next to friends. They, oh, they yeah. claim they claim it's it's building a profile. Oh, really? On how you drive? Yeah. Oh, okay. And like, they I don't think they make it as much a part of the marketing of it as they used to, because I think they made a big deal for older Horizon games, and they don't really for Forza Horizon Four. But it, I think it's still in there. But but the thing is that the AI is is rigged, so Matthew Castle always comes like second last in every race. So if it's if it's based on a profile of him, then oof oof. I'm pleased to hear that. The thing is that you might be um, in the same position in his game. I remember there being a a system for sort of like streaks of like stunts and sort of the right kind of mayhem and various things it wanted to incentivize. And that actually being quite compelling once I sort of started paying attention to it in terms of like, if you keep hitting those those dry stone walls and smashing through enough of them in the right uh, order and stuff um, and just keep doing cool shit nonstop without stop with, uh, I just said nonstop, um, <laughs> uh, that your combo multiplier keeps building and building. And then if you ever... Uh, it's like um, uh, speed. Where no, is it like speed? I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Basically, you can't break your combo. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it just gives you points for everything, though, because like if you take a corner without hitting any of the other cars, you get points for that. It's called like good clean driving or something. Two thousand points. If you take a corner and smash into every other car, you get points for that as well. You get, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the same amount or if it's incentivizing one style over another but there's definitely like words that come up to say you know like muscly driving <laughs> you know <laughs> some, some amount of points as well. so it just this constant feat of celebration for whatever it is you're doing at any given moment um, I, I guess the reason i got it on steam is that i don't actually pay for game pass anymore like I would, I would say to people, hey, if you haven't played Forza Horizon before, sign up to Game Pass. That's the place to try it. Um, but I already played it a bunch and knew that I liked it, and so it's just a game I want to have forever now. Right. Whereas yeah. I haven't actually paid for a Game Pass subscription 
since since Gears Tactics came out like a year and a bit ago or something like that. Yeah, mine has also lapsed. It's interesting, like Game Pass is one of those, we all say correctly that it's a total no-brainer. It's an insane amount of games you know, for a very reasonable price and none of us are currently paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> they continue to add and remove stuff. Well, I, I was saying that as a positive, but then the word remove came out of my mouth. <laughs> they, do, <laughs> they do continue to remove stuff and that's bad. But um, they continue to add like big games. So like um, this coming month, Yakuza 6 is coming to it. So is Star Wars Squadrons, Empire of Sin, Octopath Traveler, uh, and Near Automata, which is just like, that's just a ridiculous collection of some of the best games from the last few years, Yeah, um, which are all coming to the service in the next three weeks. And Yakuza 6 is only coming out on PC for the first time at the end of this month. So it's just like, yeah. well, if you wanted, wanted to play Yakuza 6... Well, you would sign up to Game Pass then, wouldn't you? Just for a month. Yeah. Mm. And that's all we've got time for tonight. Um, we didn't have any questions. Uh, so we went on a question holiday. Uh, <laughs> and that means that we're going to... Um, just question just ourselves. podcast. Yes. Just think long and <laughs> hard about Ask many our searching questions <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> what is game? Yeah, and Why? Well, thank you, everybody. Um, you can hang out with us and our community on our Discord channel, uh, which uh, you can find an address to uh, on our website, which is at craytoncrowbar.com. If you have a question to fill in with the lack of, for the for lack of questions that we've got this week, uh, send it to us at questions at craytoncrowbar.com or tweet us at craytoncrowbar. Uh, you can also listen to the podcast on YouTube, uh, where you can see some other bits and pieces that we have made over the months and years. Uh, the Great and Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to know more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, more information at patreon.com slash Crowbar. And that's it, I think. Uh, I've been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Tom Francis. And I shall remain Graham Smith. <laughs> Thanks. 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 Thanks.